Can we just can, can we just speak that over the Ukraine, over every part of the brokenness of your life and my life? Can we just praise God for what He's done this morning and say thank you, Lord, for all that You've done? Three thousand baptisms in the midst of a war. A young girl when I met Alicia years ago, her life was broken, and uh, she was in a very very hard place. She came to work on our staff. And she met y'all. And her whole life has changed. <clears throat> now these three precious kids being raised right here in a place that rescued her. Isn't that awesome? And that story could be told over and over and over. So let's just stop and thank God. Lord, we want to thank you for what you've done. We, we, uh, we can't even, we can't really even begin uh, to tell it all. If, if, if right now everybody in this room just stood up for a second to tell what you've done, we would be here through the night. And we want to thank you for that. And we want to thank you that you're not done, that you're still at work in our lives. And we want to give you the glory for it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> well, after all of that, <clears throat> we don't even need a sermon. <laughs> don't be amen in that now. <clears throat> Because you know good and well, you're going to get one whether you need it or not. <clears throat> but haven't we been blessed today? A little different today for us. Uh, obviously, a little bit unusual. Some of this, uh, I didn't know we were even going to get to do. Um, Igor was supposed to be on a plane. He and Pavlo already on their way back to the Ukraine. And so it just worked out providentially that they could be here with us today. And aren't we glad? We're grateful that these men could come and share this time with us. <clears throat> well, let me just remind you of where we are in our conversation. This is the fall of the year, and our theme, you know, for the entire year is why does it matter? And for the fall, we're asking the question, the church, why does it matter? And, and so we are spending these nine weeks together in the fall focused on the church. You'll remember that uh, we have some materials for you. Kurt Grice has written this catechism, Glorifying God Before the Jesus Way. Thank you, Brother Kurt, for uh, sharing this with us. And uh, many of you have gotten a copy of it, and we want you to take the time to pour over it and to have conversations about it. And then we've written, our staff has written this material, Nine Foundational Truths, that you're all studying in your Bible studies. And so throughout the whole church, every age group is studying the same biblical material during the fall. And it's, it's giving us a chance to experience that kind of unity and blessing as a church. But as we've talked about this already, when people ask me, what is the church? Well, it's, it's really difficult to answer that question. It depends on how much time you have. But if I'm going to do it succinctly, if it's my elevator speech, I've shared with you this already, but this is my answer. The church is a purposeful community of gathered believers following the Jesus way together. That is who we are. We're purposeful. We live in community with each other, but we're not just here to be here. We don't just gather for gatherings sake. We gather for a reason. We're a missional community. We're following the Jesus way and we do that together. And so also we've been reading through the book of Acts this fall 
and your daily Bible readings have been guiding you in that journey as we are just watching the story of the early church unfold in front of us. So with that said, I want us to talk about our next lesson uh, <clears throat> for this series. And I've entitled the message, First Baptist Arlington, We Are Together. And the text is the same text it was last Sunday morning. So if you have your copy of the New Testament in the book of Acts, Acts 2, verse 42 is where we will begin. And we looked at this text last Sunday. This is a foundational text, in my opinion, for understanding who the church is. So hear what, hear what Luke says in this brief summary. He says, they, the people that believed and were baptized, remember Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, we began this conversation first week of September. We talked about our church being on purpose, that we're purposeful. We have a, a mission as a church. We talked about the fact that we're a believer's church. These people were believers. Everyone who believed was baptized. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the fact that we are changing. We're on a spiritual journey, and these um, early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the apostolic witness. So are we. The apostolic witness to us is the New Testament. So we're in a, a journey of transformation. And I reminded y'all last Sunday morning about the scripture ring that's inlaid in the floor in our main welcome center. Let me just show you a photo of it real quick. Um, thanks to Zach Barton, who's actually taken a drone shot of it. It's a little better than the picture I took of it. Um, but you'll notice, if, if you'll see those... Um, they're called the triquetra. I don't know if you're familiar with that word or not, but those are those interconnected arc shapes. You'll notice there are three of them on each part of the cross. They represent the Trinity. It's a historic representation or symbol of the Trinity. This is the Carolingian cross, and uh, it is named that because the Frankish family ultimately Charlemagne, this was the cross that they adopted to represent them. It's the, the Trinity knots coming together to form a cross. Uh, one of Charlemagne's, many of Charlemagne's ancestors are buried in a very famous church in Paris. It's the Church of Saint-Denis, or Saint-Denis, <clears throat> which is obviously many of y'all's affectionate name for me. I, I get it. Uh, but St. Denis is the patron saint of Paris, and there's a church there named for him. And this, many of the um, um, uh, descendants and successors of Charlemagne are buried in that church. So some people actually associate that cross with St. Denis. Just want y'all to know, we didn't know all that when we put that cross in the floor. Uh, but now that we know it, I think it's a pretty cool thing. But regardless, it's a, the scripture around it is Acts 2.47. The text for uh, Acts 2.42, rather, the text that we're going to look at today. So the reason that it's important to have that cross shaped by the representations of the Trinity is because the Trinity is foundational to our understanding of the Christian experience. So the Trinity, think about it, there is community within the very nature of God. So this text says that these early believers were committed to, devoted to fellowship. 
The fellowship, the text actually says. Well, God has existed in fellowship, in eternal relationship, in eternal community within himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternally co-equal. Dynamic communion. There is order but not rank in the Trinity. And the foundation of our fellowship as Christians, the foundation of our relationship with each other, is actually rooted in the reality of the Trinity. We don't think about it sometimes very much, but that's actually why you and I have the ability to relate together so well because God designed us that way as a reflection of who he is. So our community together is actually rooted in the reality of God's eternal community within himself. In fact, the Bible gives evidence of that. You know, the Bible teaches us that we have fellowship with the Father, with Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. We find that taught to us in the New Testament. For example, if you look at 1 John 1, verse 3, the Bible says our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you look at 2 Corinthians 13, 14, many of you have studied that already in your Bible study lessons when we, just, when we studied the Trinity, where the Apostle Paul says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you. And so you and I are in fellowship with God the Father, with God the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. So our fellowship together begins with God. So I want us to have a conversation this morning about what fellowship means. Because to us as Baptists, fellowship means this. First of all, we have a place where you go do it, right? And that room that we go to to have fellowship in every Baptist church is called what? The fellowship hall. That's where you go to have fellowship, okay? So if y'all are having fellowship anywhere else right now in our church, I want to just ask you to stop it. The only place you can have it is in the fellowship hall. That's what it's for, right? And if you're going to have it in there, you have one necessary thing that has to be with you when you come there. Food. You cannot have fellowship without food anywhere else but the fellowship hall in a Baptist church. Now, if you're a real Baptist church, it's actually in the basement, okay? I grew up in Alabama. We had basements. You know, we don't just build things right on top of the ground like y'all do. You know, y'all just pour concrete and just build right on top of it. You know, we don't do that where I'm from. We, we have basements just in case a tornado comes or where the fellowship hall is supposed to go. So you always go down to the fellowship hall. Well, the point is, fellowship is an important ingredient to the church, but what is it? If, if we say that we're going to have fellowship with each other, if the Bible says that these people were committed to the fellowship, well, what were they committed to? What, what was it they were doing? How do you know that you're in fellowship with anybody? Well, let me just remind you of how sociologists study us. You know, the sociologists study people like me and you, people who are religious people. They have three categories that they look at, belief, behavior, and belonging. Those are the three categories. When sociologists say, let's try to figure out who these religious people are, they begin with belief. And what they've discovered is, is that religious people in general, no matter who they are, they have a certain belief system. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or a Buddhist or Hindu or a Christian. There's something about your belief system that is going to uh, challenge you, lead you, shape you, transform you, whatever it may be. So think about it. This early church, we know they had a belief system. The Bible says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Remember, we talked about that already. The apostles' teaching, not just any teaching. So Jesus has been ascended to the Father. So now who's going to teach them? Jesus is gone. Well, 
the people who lived with Jesus. So the apostles are going to teach them things about the person and work of Christ, um, the resurrection of Christ, salvation, the difference between law and grace, Christian ethics. All of that is going to be taught by the apostles. In fact, they're going to write some of it down. That's why we have the apostolic witness. That's the New Testament. The understanding of the Old Testament was taught by the apostles. So there's a belief system at the very heart of Christianity. But when sociologists study us, there's also something behavioral about us. Because of our belief system, we act in certain ways. There are behaviors that are characteristic of people who carry out these very beliefs. In other words, what you believe, you demonstrate it in how you behave. But then the third category is where I want us to settle in this morning. Sociologists say this, somehow religious people find ways to belong with each other. And belonging is powerful. It's one of the most powerful forces on planet Earth. Finding community. Learning how to belong to each other. Again, if you still have your Bible open, it's, it's very simple. It's stated very simply, but look at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to breaking of bread. Look, look at verse 44. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Verse 46, they met together in the temple courts. And then he says in verse 47, they, they had new people who joined them who were looking for that kind of belonging. So this idea of fellowship, community, belonging, do you know it's one of the deepest needs that you have as a human being? Human beings just want to belong somewhere. They want to find their place somewhere, somehow. They will go to great lengths to find it. Sometimes you and I watch with horror at what happens to people who get taken in by cults, don't we? And we wonder, how could you possibly believe any of that nonsense? Guess what it is? More often than not, it's not the belief. It's the belonging that draws them. It's, it's, it's finding people who will welcome them and bring them into community. It's all over our culture. We, we wear clothes that signify it. You know, you can, you can be driving down the highway and you'll see a group of people on motorcycles and they'll all be wearing the same jackets with the same stuff on them, right? Yesterday, most of y'all were dressed in blue and orange cheering for those Auburn Tigers. There's something about, there's just something about belonging to something that really matters. I see that Aggie stuff, Dr. Caffey, trust me. Um, I just want y'all to know this morning, I was planning on wearing blue and orange, but after I talked with Igor, I wore the colors of the Ukraine instead. So I'm, I'm blue and yellow today for my Ukraine. Ukrainian brothers. But belonging is powerful. So I've mentioned to y'all this book, The Great Dechurching. It's this book that's written by these two pastors in Orlando, Florida, Jim Davis and Michael Graham, where they have been analyzing the research that primarily has been done by Ryan Burge. If you're not familiar with Ryan Burge, I would encourage you to look at what he's discovering. And what we discovered is over the last 25 years in America, around 40 million American adults have stopped going to church. 40 million American Christians of all denominations, Protestant and Catholic, have stopped going to church. Ryan Burge has dug into the data. Why? Why did you leave? Why did you quit going to church? Here's what's fascinating. Across the board, doesn't matter whether they're mainline, evangelical, Assembly of God, 
African-American, Latino, Catholic, doesn't matter. Here's what we've discovered. 19% of them said we stopped going to church because we moved and we couldn't find a new place. 14% said we did not experience much love from our faith community. 14% said we found that we no longer fit in at our church. That's 47% of 40 million American adults said the reason we've stopped going to church is because we no longer belong. So you want to tell me how powerful belonging is? How important is it for me and you to welcome people? Do you know this early church teaches us about that? These people belong to each other. If you keep reading the book of Acts, you get over to Acts chapter 4, and, and Luke will give you another little summary statement. And he'll say in Acts 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. What a statement. Would to God, we could say that about every one of our churches. All the people in that church are of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. And Luke says the grace was so powerful, everybody was taken care of. The New Testament is filled with examples of acceptance, of love, of generosity, and belonging. As a matter of fact, the word koinonia, that's the Greek word underneath the English word fellowship. A derivative of that word also means generous. To be generous, to share, that's fellowship. To be in relationship with other believers where they feel like they belong. Where you feel like you belong. Let me just ask you, how committed are you to helping the people around you in this family feel like they belong? Did you hear Alicia's testimony? Alicia found herself at the lowest point of her life and she said, I met the Jesus-loving people of First Baptist Arlington and they helped me move. They, they took care of me. They encouraged me to take my next step of faith, which was just come to church. Just, just take one more step. And then they encouraged me to take my next step and they encouraged me. To, and the, you know who the they is? Is that proper English? You know who the they are? Who the they is? Y'all. <laughs> That's who the they is, y'all. She's talking about the Jesus-loving people of First Baptist Arlington. You know who that is? Y'all. Praise God. Don't you want that to be the testimony of anybody that walks in this door? That we're going to encourage you to take the next step, whatever the next step is. Praise God for the church. Because you see, here's the truth in the New Testament, y'all. The Christian life is a shared life. We live together. This is how God designed it. It is not good for the man to be alone. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's not a word about marriage. That's a word about life. God has not designed you to live in isolation. Separation is not healthy. Do you know, Harvard University for the last 85 years has been engaged in this longitudinal study. 2,000 adults over three generations. They have interviewed them, asking them thousands of questions. One of the questions they want to know is, are you happy are you healthy? If you are, why? After all of their research, one crucial factor that is tied to physical health and mental well-being and actually a long life, you know what it is? According to Harvard, you know what it is? Good and healthy relationships. 
These Harvard scientists say that's at the very heart of flourish, flourishing human beings. Well, come on, y'all. The scientific community is telling us something we already know. We already know how powerful it is to live in community with people. What is the church? It's a place where you and I join our lives together with other believers and we're devoted to fellowship because God knows our needs. God knows exactly what we need. Now, I'm gonna tell you something about the church. It's not perfect. We know that, but it's good. It's not perfect, remember, because me and you are in it, but it's good and it's God's idea. And more importantly than that, y'all, the church is God's chosen instrument to establish his kingdom on this earth. He is using us to push back the forces of darkness. You know, Colin Hansen, Jonathan Lehman have written this book and, and one of the things they say in, in this book is that no one gets the church they want, but everyone gets the church they need. You don't always get the church you want. Because every one of us in this church could pick one thing that we wish was better. Couldn't we? Much as we love our church, we could pick, we could pick something. We wish it were better. You don't just get the church you want. That's not how it works. But everyone gets the church they need. And here's what I would tell you about living as a Christian. It is impossible, impossible for you to obey the New Testament and live in isolation. Impossible. You just can't do it. You know why? Because you can't figure out what to do with the one another's in the Bible. If you choose to live outside the church, what are you going to do with one another? Do you know there are over 50 of them in the New Testament commands? And the only way to do that is actually be in relationship with somebody else. You know, the Bible tells us over and over and over, do this to one another, love one another, 2 John 1, 5, honor one another, Romans 12, 10, welcome one another, Romans 15, 7, have fellowship with one another, 1 John 1, 7, live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, verse 16, be kind to one another, Ephesians 4, 32, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2, pray for one another, James 5, 16, encourage one another, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do I need to go on? I got a whole list, there's 50 of them. I defy you to do that by yourself. You have to be in community to do all of that. What did I just hear in this testimony from Alicia? What I heard from her was how often, how blessed she was by the one another's. And you know who the one another's are? You, y'all. When you're loving one another, it has an impact in people's lives. I just encourage us. You know, uh, when I was a kid growing up, we used to watch Star Trek. Y'all remember, I'm talking about the real Star Trek, not the, not the whatever the latest thing. I'm talking about Captain Kirk. You know what I'm talking about? Boldly going where no one has ever gone before. Y'all know William Shatner, when uh, it wasn't too long ago, do you know he finally actually got to go into outer space? Y'all remember that? Uh, October 13th, 2021, he flew into space on Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin space shuttle. He was 90 years old, oldest person to travel in space. But come on, y'all, Captain Kirk is the coolest guy that's ever traveled in space, okay? So, yes, thank you. Y'all know that's true. Um, you know what he wrote about it? Have y'all read what he said about actually going into space? This is Captain Kirk, okay? He says, my trip to space was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it felt like a funeral. It was among the strongest feelings of grief I've ever encountered. The contrast between the vicious coldness of space and the warm nurturing of earth below filled me with overwhelming sadness. Everything I had thought was wrong. Everything I'd expected to see was wrong. I had a different experience because I discovered that the beauty isn't out there, it's down here. 
with all of us. Leaving that behind made my connection to our tiny planet even more profound. Come on, Captain Kirk. That's the word about fellowship. This right here is precious. It is. That's why we're supposed to be devoted to it. In fact, at First Baptist Arlington, you know what we're doing? We are together. That's what we are. We're going to share life together. We're going to do life together. We're going to live in community with each other. We're going to learn from each other because, you see, I'm better off because of you. And you know you're better off because of me, right? <laughs> We're better off together, aren't we? Aren't we better together than on our own? Come on now. You know, one of my, one of my favorite teams in sport was the dream team that we had in basketball years ago. Y'all remember them? I'm talking about Larry Bird and Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson. I mean, some of the greatest basketball players that have ever lived. But you know what? Had one of them chosen to play by himself, it would have been much of a dream. It'd been a nightmare. But guess what they did? They played together. And they never even called a timeout. As a matter of fact, one of the teams they played, the coach Chuck Daly noticed that a different guy was covering a different guy every time the Americans brought the ball down the court and they looked like they were posing for photos. So finally that team called a timeout and Chuck Daly went over and asked that coach, what are you doing? He said, oh, these boys right here, they know we're not gonna win, but they're never gonna get to play against these guys. So we're taking photos of every one of them guarding each player so they can share it with their families. <laughs> I love that. The dream team, that's who the church is. The Lord has brought all these different gifts, all these different abilities and put us all together on the same team. And if you can ever get us moving in the same direction, come on now, look out what we might do. So y'all, let's be the church. You know, we're, we're starting this new ministry called Table Groups. And the reason we're doing that is not to replace Sunday school. We want to give people an opportunity to go a little bit deeper, a little bit further and practice some missional practices in their own homes, in their own communities. And guess what we hope is going to happen? Some of those de-churched people in your neighborhoods, they need a place to belong. And maybe they're a little fearful about coming to 301 Center, but they might come to your house and have dinner. Does that make sense? They just might just to get to know someone. And then perhaps along the way, we'll be able to encourage them to take step after step after step. Because you see, the church, we live together, we serve together, we're the people of God together. So let me give you a glimpse of 2024. You know, we always have a theme for every year. You know what our theme is going to be for 2024? You know, I was off in July, as I do every year, praying, studying. Our theme for 2024 is together. And we're going to learn in 2024 more about together. We're going to live together. We're going to serve together. We're going to worship God together. And we're going to do something that Eugene Peterson challenges us to do. We're going to practice resurrection together. Because Eugene Peterson says that's actually what the Christian life is. You and I are practicing resurrection Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. We've been resurrected from a dead sinful life to live a new life. He says, so what we're all doing together is we're practicing resurrection. That's who the church is. And so it's a, it's a powerful thing. Let me just read to you in conclusion this morning this brief paragraph from Eugene Peterson. He says, church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. Death of nations, death of civilization, death of marriage, death of careers, 
obituaries without end, death by war, death by murder, death by accident, death by starvation, death by electric chair, death by lethal injection, death by hanging. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. This practice is not a vague wish upward, but comprises a number of discreet but interlocking acts that maintain a credible and faithful way of life, real life, in a world preoccupied with death and the devil. These practices include the worship of God and all the operations of the Trinity, he says. Here's who we are. We're the company of people who practice resurrection and it replicates the way of Jesus on the highways and byways numbered and named on all the maps of the world. This is the church. The practice of resurrection is not an attack on the world of death. It is a nonviolent embrace of life in the country of death. It is an open invitation to live eternity in time. So y'all, we together are going to practice resurrection. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the time we've had together in worship today. My goodness, we've been blessed, challenged, and encouraged. And I pray, Lord, that you will guide us together to continue to be the people of God in this place. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.